Welcome to another episode of Swisspreneur. Today we're meeting with Alize Dutonac. She is the founder of Seedstars. Together with her co-founders, they are impacting lives all around the world by fostering entrepreneurship. Let's go and talk to her. Hi, Alize. Hello. Thank you so much that we can be here. Ah, thank you for coming. Where we are um, here, it's a place called Seed Space. Mm -hmm. I heard recently about it, but maybe you can tell us a little bit where we are. Sure. So Seed Space is our co-working, co-living uh, hub uh, that we now have uh, three in Geneva and uh, six around the world with, an, uh, op with uh, this expansion idea of having around 15 hubs. The objective was really to find a place where we could reunite all entrepreneurs like ourselves, but also other freelancers, etc. And really for us, what was important was also this co-living component, which is so difficult uh, even in Geneva to find a, an affordable place, but also around the world. You have to imagine that in Nigeria, for example, you pay 12 to 24 months upfront your rent. So it's kind of also figuring out solutions for young entrepreneurs. Um, and this is the one in Chenbourg, which we are very proud of. So what does co-living exactly mean? Like Co-living is basically in every uh, hub and space that we open, we try to always have um, a certain amount of space uh, reserved for co-living. So we put beds and people can rent out the rooms. Uh, we have people coming in three, four days for conferences, etc. And some staying in for six months. Uh, wow. So it's just really to... It's a lifestyle before anything. It's just basically people living like us that can take advantage of this community of spaces uh, around the world, hopefully. And uh, today we have 30 partnerships around the world and hopefully uh, uh, soon uh, 15 uh, owned seed spaces. And so if I understood right, always if you have a seed space, there is always a co-living. Like it's a concept you, yes, you try really to... Yes, we really try. Exactly. And is there like a, a measurement that you say at least that many beds if there are so many desks <laughs> or something? We should. We're not there yet because <laughs> okay. it's such a it's so complicated to find the right space and the right location. So we try to figure it out on the ground. We're right now opening one in Abidjan. Uh, and we were very lucky. It's an unbelievable space, three floors. So we said, okay, third floor will be reserved for co-living. Um, now we're looking into a space just next to it and maybe just make that co-living. So it really depends. And mm -hmm. also in terms of the business model and the viability of the spaces, it's very important to diversify the revenue channels uh, between the events, the memberships, um, the community and uh, the co-living. Okay, very nice. Mm -hmm. Um, good to be here. Yeah, thank you for coming. Um, I, I saw that uh, Le Bilan said it's one of the 10 best places in Switzerland to work, right? I completely agree. Yeah, okay, <laughs> nice. So, but I, for, for the start of our interview, I would really uh, like to, uh, to take us at the beginning of your life, mm -hmm. like to your early childhood. Mm -hmm. So um, you said you grew up in France, right? No, oh. I'm a real expat product. Okay. So I grew up uh, most of my childhood in Singapore. Uh, then moved to the United States, then back to France. So it was really, th this at that time I was very young, so following my father and his job. Um, and then I went on to study in Switzerland, in Italy, uh, did the world tour with Seed Star. So I'm the kind of person, more than two years in one place, it gets me kind of itchy. 
Mm -hmm. And that's already inducted by your family, like your dad had a job, he was an ambassador exactly. or like in a uh, No, diplomat? he was working for a, a multinational company that did the chips in the credit mm -hmm. cards. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why he moved from Singapore to the States. And then he was venture capitalist, so very much mm -hmm. in... A, um, in, in this, space, in yeah. my space, um, even though at that time we were really living uh, in Menlo Park in, in Silicon Valley, but I had no clue. I was 12, 13, so I was more preoccupied by boys at that time. <laughs> um, but uh, it's true now we, we, we find ourselves in many um, similar conversations and similar networks. Uh, so it's very cool. Nice. Do you think that there is anything that um, impacted you, like something you learned, a lesson your dad taught you, mm. where you now look back and say, hey, maybe that's already where my life started to go in a certain direction? I think so. This uh, obsession of traveling and curiosity of the different cultures and what's out there really came from my background. It's mm -hmm. part of me. And uh, I don't feel, uh, contrary to other uh, of my colleagues or partners um, I don't I don't know what home is which is an advantage and disadvantage um, and I think that really comes from my childhood experience which I get to take advantage even more now with seat stars which is really a global initiative um, and it's not for everyone and uh, for my father sincerely I had no clue and at that time I was more obsessed on kind of getting the perfect CV and the perfect schools and the best grades and I went on I wanted to be in marketing so I went on and started with L'Oréal um, and and I really messed up because it was boring I mean it was everything I shouldn't be doing um, and I was lucky to have always a family very supportive of my initiative so it's true that that flexibility they always had is something today that uh, is very powerful mm -hmm. and not it hasn't constrained me in uh, sticking to that uh, boring route. Um, you have been studying at like really important universities mm. in Lausanne, in Milan, great universities, um, knowing what's going to happen with our, with our world and how many jobs we might lose through digitalization. Yeah. What is your recommendation for young people who educate themselves, who are deciding for studies yeah. right now? How should they prepare for the future? I think in the near future, uh, diplomas are going to become obsolete. So education is probably one of the industry that still needs severe disruption. Um, I think it's still formatted in a way that it worked for the Industrial Revolution at that time. Um, we do not know um, more than half of the jobs, what are they going to be in the next uh, 15, 20 years. So um, I can only um, suggest to students to, be, to learn how to think for themselves and do for themselves to learn how to be flexible, flexible with the, what the future holds and what uh, they should expect of themselves as a value creator um, on this planet or else. Um, the world tour really, really was an unbelievable eye-opener. So I, when I think, okay, if I have kids tomorrow, what will I tell them? I do like the idea of pushing for this year of travel uh, where they can really understand what's happening because you, you suddenly um, realize there is no black and white and everything's gray. There are options to everything. Happiness, 
2,000 definitions. You think uh, monogamy is best, go see uh, arranged marriages in India, and you doubt on who's happier, who's not. If you think uh, love is supposed to be done, then look at this. If you think business should be done this way, go to, uh, to another country. So I think it was, un it was extremely refreshing, extremely in made me extremely optimistic on this planet, and optimism is so important. So traveling for me is fundamental. Um, and then, yeah, they have to fail. So test as much as possible, as soon as possible. But I wouldn't focus on, uh, on, the, on the best diplomas um, unless they have an immense passion in a very specialized field where today um, an academic um, path would be important for them to succeed in that branch. Alisa, you mentioned L'Oréal, mm -hmm. so you choose to work with them when you finished your studies. Yes. Like, how come did you choose them and mm -hmm. why did you think that's the right place for you to work? Um, because I thought uh, that product was important, so I wanted to sell something beautiful at that time. So I was in the luxury department and I was basically selling very expensive lipstick. Um, I thought uh, that status was important, so the title they gave me and the kind of uh, career progression seemed very exciting. Um, I thought you had to learn from the, the big corporates um, and that that was kind of the uh, bridge to then kick off your career in a corporate um, environment, knowing that marketing was something I wanted to jump into. To be honest, I learned a lot and I respect people that have had corporate experience because they tend to, um, to have this discipline, which is very much appreciated. Mm -hmm. And sometimes uh, hiring uh, uh, pure entrepreneurs, wannabe entrepreneurs, there's a lot of ego <laughs> uh, to manage uh, constantly. But um, so I learned a lot, but you really do feel you're just that, uh, just another person doing tasks where you don't understand why, you don't understand the end game, uh, you have little control. Um, I hated, I hated the fact I had to get to the office for 8.30 and then pretend till this and then stay at until 8 and 9 because it was socially unacceptable to leave earlier even though you're on your Facebook page or whatever because uh, you're not productive anymore. That I think was one of the things that physically got me like ill. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and you have that also a terrible disease, which I, I don't have anymore of the, the, the wish that it's going to be Friday and the depressive Sunday that you're going to get to Monday. It's horrible when you think about it. Um, so great experience to understand better what I don't want. And... Um, I was already three, four months in that I'm asking myself, why do I spend so much time and so much energy on something I don't necessarily believe or am passionate about? Um, shouldn't I be something bigger? I'm part of the millennium generation, so we do all believe we are exceptional and going to do something great. Um, and... Um, I came across a lot of more kind of these inspirational videos. I'm very American. I love quotes. I love role models. It's, it's part of me. Um, so you come across quotes like Eleanor Roosevelt, do one thing every day that scares you, and then uh, failing is part, and et cetera, and et cetera. And then um, I quit. I met uh, Pierre Alain, the co-founder of Seed Stars, who's saying, I'm going to do a world tour. We're going to build an international network of entrepreneurs. 
And when you're in the corporate world, you really believe these people don't exist because it's kind of a sect and you, you think you can only move horizontally or by industry, but the kind of like idea people can build their day-to-day -day is impossible. Um, so I quit everything, gave my resignation letter and uh, started to build the concept with Pierre of Seed Stars World, which would be a global startup competition, our vehicle to build a quality network of entrepreneurs from around the world. And um, we bought, uh, we indebted ourselves, we bought uh, all the tickets. So we, we had to make it. So we bought all the flight tickets for 20 countries in 2013. We left in March and uh, we knew we had um, resources until July. So it kept us very awake and we made it. And now we're four years later. Very, very cool story. Um, for me, um, the moment you left L'Oreal and you talked to your friends and mm. your family, what were the reactions like? So in L'Oreal, you're crazy, um, but you're cool. I don't know, There's because everyone has that idea that they should go out, but they don't do it. And so every, it was kind of always, you're crazy, but maybe it will work for you kind of uh, uh, discussion. Um, as long as I had the support of my family and I had a very strong gut feeling that Pierre Alain uh, was going to build something um, big, so I had found the right partner to, with whom to build this. Um, and then uh, Pierre Alain had already started Seed Stars with Mikael a couple of months before. And Mikael, I knew a bit already with someone I extremely respect. And then Benjamin came in, so kind of the first uh, um, members. Um, the biggest risk was to take a flight back home. So that was okay. That was okay. So um, um, how did you uh, meet your co-founders and how did you know that these are the right people? Because I had done HEC Lausanne in Switzerland, so I knew uh, I had a, a lot of my friends from Switzerland, and Mikael had done HEC Lausanne a year above me, uh, so we knew one another. Pierre Alain, we knew from common friends. Um, I didn't necessarily know. It was more Pierre Alain who always told me when you define, when you decide for your co-founders, you have to. The only thing you should focus on is if we have the same values because values will get you through the high points, which are as crazy and absurd as the low points. And that's about how uh, right you can get. Uh, whereas I always thought you had to get the person, the expert or the most competent or the, uh, the best seller, etc. But um, he was right. So it's true in terms of values, you can quickly understand if you're aligned. We discussed it where there's no taboo, everything is communicated. Um, and four years in, I have to say, it really, it, it, it's probably the best advice I could give to someone when trying to find their co-founder. Did you write the values down or did you do anything, like no. any ritual or something? Or did you look back to these um, values like mm. at a certain point? Um, two, year, two and a half years in, when we went from three and a half people to uh, 15 people to now 50, yeah, we had to. Because it was like, shit, we need to do like a career progression. People are asking this. Oh my God, people want to understand what's the mission, what's the vision. For us, it was intrinsic. It was mm, a gut feeling. And, and, and so we, we went with that. And, but it wasn't at all something um, 
written down. So we had to start writing it down uh, the moment where the team grew and we needed to clarify it and we needed to motivate and we needed um, to make sure people were aligned. We need to, to make sure that our culture could scale because it's so fundamental to who we are. So now we have a vision, a mission, values, mm -hmm. a motto, uh, we've got it all. And are there any examples you can give us? How do you how do you do it? Like how 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 do you communicate your vision? Mm. Um, we try. So we have a very strong uh, lifestyle motto, which is uh, "kiss kill." Keep it simple. Keep it lean. And that fundamentally is how you should uh, we should approach one another. How we do the job. Um, how we communicate the job. So it really goes in the types of tools we use and uh, how we try to experiment new ideas, new, um, how we try to plan out things, how we organize our meetings. Do we do it religiously always? No, but we try to get there. It's easy when you're um, two, three people in a room. It gets tougher when you're 50 people in remote across five continents. Um, but we try to repeat repeat, repeat, um, we try to hire, we spend a lot of time more and more on recruiting and retaining because we realize that if we, if we do a better job at finding someone who has a cultural fit with us in terms of how they approach the world, in terms of their curiosity, in terms of their honesty, in terms of their teamwork capabilities, in terms of their hunger, um, then we don't need to communicate as much because they defend and represent who and what we are. Um, but it's very tough. It's probably the biggest challenges we have um, and that we will be having scaling the group Mm -hmm. uh, in the coming years. Maybe we come back to this topic mm. of scaling mm. and hiring, but maybe you can give us a little bit of walk through what actually Seedstars Sorry. is <laughs> yeah. and how it, how it got that big and yeah. how like all these different Seedstars Academy yeah. and Seedstars Summit and all how it fits together and how it came alive. Yeah, um, so it started with um, Michael on a world tour meeting Pierre-Alain in Argentina or Brazil and deciding we really need to start building our own companies. And so we, there was the company builder Seed Stars. Two months in, it was, okay, why the hell are we not thinking emerging markets? And then I come in and so we're, uh, we're more and we start thinking, okay, 85% of the population is in emerging markets. Technology is going to happen tomorrow. Leapfrogging is happening. So you're just skipping a technology directly to a more efficient and more cost, um, a lower, um, um, how do we say, uh, less costly uh, technology. So why are we not attacking these markets, supporting these markets, etc.? And that's where we decided to build Seed Stars World, which is the biggest today startup competition, where we started uh, with Pierre Alain in 2013, backpacking uh, across 20 countries. Um, today we are in 65 countries and 75 cities. Uh, and this allows us to build a network of top quality entrepreneurs from around the world, but also uh, to reunite all the stakeholders building these startup ecosystems. From Seed Stars World, we realize, okay, it's nice. We come in these countries two, three weeks per year, but how can we bring more impact? How can it be sustainable? Because our vision is that we want to have an impact in emerging markets and our tools to do that is technology and entrepreneurship. 
So we start thinking of SeedStars Growth. SeedStars Growth is an accelerator program that we're launching this year in which we invest in the top startups mainly through SeedStars World Competition and we accelerate them for three months. We try to bring that unfair advantage or that uh, infrastructure and skill set to get them scaling to the next level. Then we say, okay, good. But the reality is there's not enough good deal flow. Why? Because there's not enough good talent and they don't have the same education and they don't, it's not meritocratic. You don't, it's not completely democratized launching a business um, everywhere. So let's bring in our support. And before uh, building and investing in great companies, let's build and invest in great talent. And together we're going to build great companies. So we launched Seed Stars Academy. Uh, where I left for a year and a half in Nigeria, where we built the first academy, six months training program in which we train local talent to work on businesses that we own and that we build together. And then they scale with the company, take equity, etc. So Nigeria was focused on a major pain point, which is financial inclusion. We launched four fintech companies there. Now we're opening up an Ivory Coast and EdTech Academy. So much to do in education globally. Huh? It's not an emerging market problem. Um, then we're looking into InsureTech in South Africa. We're expanding to North Africa and Egypt and Morocco, Iran. And with a very strong um, ambition to stay a global player, we'll be replicating these academies across borders in Latin America, Asia, and the MENA Sea region. So Seed Stars suddenly became Seed Stars World, the competition, Seed Space, because your brand is online, but it has to be offline. You have to breathe, eat, sleep. It's also, um, and it allows us to build these hubs around the world and, and any entrepreneur like ourselves can take advantage of this truly globalized world. Um, you have Seed Stars Academy and Seed Stars Growth, which is our way to build companies and support either existing entrepreneurs or build the next generation of entrepreneurs. And then Seed Stars Invest, where we're really looking to raise bigger funds to invest in the later stage of these companies and other companies that would need support. Um, so it's a machine. It's a machine uh, with the objective to um, to have a portfolio, impressive, a big portfolio of companies uh, in emerging markets. So incredible! It's really incredible. Congrats! Thank you. Um, Only at one percent, so a long way to go. <laughs> no, but really, like it's it's so impressive. Like the the it's like impressive the age you have, like how old you are, twenty nine, right? Mm -hmm. And it's impressive, like you're, you started 2013 and yeah. what you have built in that short of time. And like what I find most impressive, like if it, dealing with so many different cultures, like how do you keep like a seed star spirit, mm. a seed star culture with so many different cultures you meet in every country? Um, it's funny because one thing that shocked me the, when I did the world tour back in 2013 is that I have met so many entrepreneurs and then they met one another because at our Seed Star Summit, which is the annual meeting of all the startups from around the world, they've also experienced it themselves. Socially, religiously, economically, everything separates us. Everything is extremely awkward. But when it comes down to why you're doing, building a business, why you're an entrepreneur, the language is the same. It's very impressive to see because suddenly you have a very strong common ground and it becomes completely natural, uh, the discussion and the interaction. And so it's kind of the same with Seed Stars. Um, 
We are convinced talent is everywhere. Everyone comes with very diverse background, um, with their strengths and their weaknesses that come with that. But because they've really understood what our mission is, they've really understood how we want to play it in the next 10 years, then I don't know why it works. And it works really well. I mean, we reunite all the teams one month here. It's chaos to have them all reunited in the different seat spaces. It's a real uh, colonie de vacances. Huh? I don't know how productive it is, <laughs> but they get, they get along really well. They get along really well. Either they have uh, very respectful relationships for the rest of their lives, or some have probably uh, their closest friendships today. So there is a common language, really? entrepreneurship. Really, yeah. it's impressive. Now, I have to say, some pap passports are a real mess for visas. Mm -hmm. And that is very annoying. I mean, when we have, a, for example, we had Selam part of the Africa team last year and she has an Ethiopian passport. That's tough to get her around in Africa. So it was a real pain point for her. Uh, I think that was one of the pains. And then also we had uh, John from Lebanon. Also, it was a real pain for him. Uh, those are the funny things. But you managed it somehow. Like yeah. they were here. They're here Finally. or uh, they don't go to an event if it gets too complicated. Uh, but we're, we're, very, we're still very flexible in our organization, so we, we figure it out. Mm -hmm. Maybe coming back to the point of uh, hiring. Mm. So you were hiring a lot of people during the last couple months, yeah. years. So could you give us like the, maybe the highlights and the lowlights of hiring, <laughs> your personal ones? So what happened is, we, so we have Mikael in the team that reads I don't know how many books. So he always comes with kind of the latest of I read this, I read that, we should be doing this way, the, the CEO of Google said that, etc. Which is super cool because he comes with a lot of resources and material of people that have done it. So let's not try to do the same mistake. Um, and we were, I was also a big fan uh, with Pierre Hannan of the seven habits, uh, the seven principles of highly effective people. And in it, it was kind of, they ask you to do this chart in what's urgent, important, what's urgent, not important, what's urgent, what's not urgent, uh, important, what's not urgent, not important. And so everyone suddenly puts in urgent, important talent. That's fundamentally probably one of the biggest uh, with uh, the funding at certain phases, etc. Um, and then we look at our agenda and we see how much time we spend on talent and it's depressive <laughs> and ridiculous. So at that point, we said, okay, we really need to start changing that, uh, even though it tends to be sometimes the first thing you take out of your agenda because you have so much more to do. We are starting to build a knowledge and talent team that is focused, solely focused on this. Um, we're starting to centralize it. So now at the level of seed storage group, we have a talent team that needs to focus on bah, like any funnel uh, of sales. So how do you activate more quality leads? How do you et cetera, et cetera. And so working on how do we get more qualitative applications? It's helped a lot all the media we have. And recently we, have, we don't know how to manage the inflow of applications. Uh, we have a very strict process. People go through, uh, um, we do IQ test. I know it's... I know it's not significant because there are a lot of studies showing that there's no correlation. So we're still asking ourselves, do we change, etc. But 
in our activity, we've seen correlations. So depending on the jobs profiles, it does make a bit more sense. We ask everyone to do personality tests. It's changed our lives to know how fundamentally an introvert functions versus an extrovert in a brainstorm, um, in a crisis situation, etc. Really, really uh, made big differences for us in terms of kind of reducing uh, the majority of tensions in the group. Go through four or five uh, interviews, case studies, etc. So we take it very seriously. We take it very seriously um, because that's fundamentally what's going to make the difference for us. It's such a painful job. It's so exhausting. It's so the vision is huge. Um, we really need to make sure we have the talents um, that um, see it as a challenge and not a, an obstacle. And how did you build all that? Like you mentioned IQ test, you yeah. mentioned personality test, you mentioned assessments. Did yeah. you build that all on your own or did you Yeah, and we took best cases, best scenarios from different corporates, from other uh, startups. We read kind of all those, uh, the Netflix kind of uh, talent uh, slides uh, that many did. Um, we really tried to, to condense in a certain period of time what was the relevant information and, and guidelines that you could get out there and try to replicate it uh, and localize it uh, to what we would need in Seedstars. We're making a lot of errors still and we probably need to do much more. Um, but we're getting there. And your talent team here, you said um, it is a, a, a talent and education team? Somehow. Yes, because we're very big on the academy side. Seed Stars mm -hmm. Academy is a six-month program. You've got to build the program. It's huge. It's a lot of work. Uh, we do a lot of launch pads. We do a lot of uh, boot camps for our startups. We do acceleration programs for the companies we invest in. So we needed to build a team really focused on understanding is every resource or is every course or is every kind of action point that we're providing to startup students or partners really valuable? Does it really help build a company? Because there's a lot of this. It, and, and, and when we say academic, it doesn't mean it's academic courses. Huh? It's just more the program that allows us, uh, allows a company to scale. Got it. Mm. And um, what I was wondering, like you have guys you who are your co-founders mm. and you're a girl. Mm. How come did they make you the CEO, the youngest and the girl? <laughs> like what? How, so, how did you come up with that? Or? Um, it came naturally in. So I became um, CEO of Seed Stars World. So we started dividing it by business unit and everyone would take on a different business unit. Uh, Benjamin is more focused on the Seed Stars Academy, etc. And Seed Stars World became the face of Seed Stars Group because the competition was what was most marketed and, mm -hmm. and pushed for, to the outside. Um, so being me managing that unit, it was um, natural. And then people loved the story. They loved the story of the young woman in tech. Mm -hmm. um, and... Uh, and I do f feel that it's very gratifying to, to go on stage and, and speak with someone afterwards in the audience that says, Your what you said uh, struck me and I think I'm going to do it differently or I'm maybe going to change the way I want to build my career in the next five years. That's probably one of the most gratifying moments. So I also personally really pushed and worked hard in in getting more involved in, in conferences, um, in speaking, in sharing the story. 
Mm -hmm. And what's your advice like for young girls becoming entrepreneurs, mm. taking a role, making such a um, such a big step coming yeah. from L'Oreal to something like Seed Stars? Like, what are your um, what is your advice on that? Um, so I was very fortunate that I, I sincerely have never felt the discrimination. So that builds you in a certain way. Uh, for those that have felt it, um, I can't imagine what it is. And, um, and, I, and so I don't know how much of my um, advice is, is valuable, but I do believe that, especially if you want to be an entrepreneur, it's just one obstacle of so many. Mm -hmm. So it's part of the game. Um, with regards to my founders and, and how they interact with that, we're actually very, I think we're probably like more or less 50, maybe not 50-50, but more in Seed Stars World, yeah, I think we're 50-50, so it's really part of it. I don't know, I think we never asked ourselves, should we have more women or... Uh, should we do quotas? It was so, it's so obvious. Um, then in terms of advice, the book that Sheryl Sandberg wrote, Lean In, I thought it was really good in breaking down what were some of the main uh, concerns of why women are not more involved in higher positions, whatever that may be. And what struck me in that book and what reminded me of my personal experience that a big percentage of the reason is us, ourselves. So what I see in my entourage is many of my girlfriends will say, um, look, especially in the corporate world, um, I'm 28. I know probably in uh, two, three years I want a, a kid. So I'm going to already ask for an 80% in my job so I can prepare and you know, then they can't bring me And I'm like, shit, you're not even there. It's like a three year hypothesis. And I understand them. I think like that in many things because um, I think not putting stereotypes, but in general, women, security is more important. Women have to think more of building a family. Uh, it, we've been formatted socially since we were born. So there's this format that is still intrinsic to you. And you it's an unconscious bias, but you do it even with the men around you. And so the work is on yourself. And what I try to do is I found an unbelievable mentor, day-to-day -day mentor that helps me uh, with my imposter syndrome. So I have it like many women and I've been to these women conferences where <laughs> even like CEOs of some of the top companies to the biggest entrepreneurs still have that imposter syndrome um, to make sure that I don't refuse opportunities. So I really have someone because I know that's my kind of weak point. Mm -hmm. I know that if that person hadn't spent extra time in uh, training me emotionally and working on this aspect, I wouldn't be here. It's clear. So when I recruit women in my team and I realize they have also this penchant, then I make sure that we spend more time and we don't... Um, get biased because when you have two candidates for a promotion, it's true, it's super reassuring. The guy that says, no problem, delivered, I'm on it, I can do the job, which is a tendency of men to oversell, which is great. Uh, but it doesn't mean they're the best 
to deliver. And women will tend to say, I met 80% of it. Are you sure? Are you convinced? And myself, I'm like, in many hard situations, I'm like, oh, I just want this candidate. It's so much easier to go with. Um, but this is where you need to consciously work on the fact, okay, this person maybe needs more time to have the emotional support, maybe uh, needs to have a better understanding of the guidelines, etc. And so we don't also uh, make that error of not getting the best potential of that candidate. But I'm the first to, to be potentially uh, the one making the mistake. Yeah? You mentioned mentors. Yeah. Um, how did you find your mentor? Um, so I have a lot of mentors <laughs> in many aspects of my life. Uh, that's what's amazing is people really, uh, if they adhere kind of to what you're building um, and to your personal story, people are very actually open and willing to give their time, their insight, their advice. Um, and so I have mentors within Seedstars, just our partners, uh, Pierre-Alain, Mikael and Ben have taught me so much at a professional level. And also Pierre-Alain, uh, because he, since the age of 20, has been building companies. So he's a, a lot of... Uh, um, experience on what it is to be an entrepreneur, how to manage the hardships, how to manage the crisis situations. Um, I have um, mentors that I meet once, twice a year that I don't even think they, I don't, I don't, we haven't put a name tag on it, but I know it's people I can go to uh, when it's difficult. Um, I have another woman CEO friend, uh, which she's the only one also I can share with my. Um, my uh, more difficult moments because she, she can relate, she's outside. Um, so there's no pressure on what can be said, not said. And that helps a lot. That helps all because we also can talk about our personal uh, doubts, uh, uh, where we see ourselves as women. What does it mean if one day we want a family? How do you manage that? All these questions which uh, suddenly you realize that everyone has them. And so it de-dramatizes a lot the whole situation and how a good mentoring meeting would take place can you walk us through like a, a, a good experience you had mm, i think the error of people that people do is they because everyone says you need a mentor to succeed to help is they go find people and they say do you want to be my mentor I, it doesn't happen like this it, it's a very kind of informal uh, intuitive way. There's usually a personal relationship that also is built. Um, so it's. N I can't say it's a meeting. It's a once a week phone call. It's this. It's that. It's people that I can honestly call or organize a coffee or have a catch up with, where I know I can um, start subjects, more delicate subjects on myself or the company or challenges that I may have and that I know they have the experience, the advice or the distance to advise me. But um, I think it would be a mistake um, to have people uh, think it's, um, it's a systematic process to get to. Um, I think they can, you can try and, and be strategic when it comes to how do you get to that mentor if you believe this person can fundamentally support you in your business. Uh, um, and that's any sales tactic of how to get a new lead. Uh, but then the relationship has to be quite natural. 
Um, if not, it's forced, and I'm not sure you get the right thing. So we've had um, great mentors because people love our mission. So they come and they say, look, I've got this much time free. Would love to spend more time. This is my experience. Or it has been me harassing because I'm a big fan um, and would love to get their insight. But um, it's natural. Got it. Um, maybe talking about communication, your organization is growing mm. tremendously fast um, and communication must be super important. Mm. Um, could you tell us a little bit about how you communicate, how you do meetings, like what communication does place, yeah. take place? So we're still making a lot of errors. Um, we're working on it. Uh, as soon as it started getting complicated and remote, uh, we started finding better solutions than Skype, where internet was cutting too much. Um, so now we're using other tools. We put in place a, a Slack, etc. So we have several tools to facilitate the communication, um, to simplify uh, the, the exchanges. I'm still an addict of emails. I think I'm still at a non-productive level, so we w I would need to reduce myself. So we do ask the team to reduce emails because it just starts to get an exchange of exchange where you can simply uh, solve issues much faster with a call. So we try to push more calls or Slack um, so that everyone is informed and we don't lose the trail. Um, but fundamentally, you can't replace face-to-face. So for us, it's still very important to reunite the team once a year for three weeks where we're all together. Um, we better understand our personalities. Um, we get shit done much faster altogether. Um, but if not, it's the typical uh, Zoom meetings. We have weekly calls. We break it down to dailies when it's needed for certain people in the team that are, lack, that are um, a bit behind. Um, we try to stick to the hour we put, but we still have an issue of over of, of passing the time. And that's like 2017 objective is that if we put an hour, people stick to 60 minutes. Um, and yeah, I think that's, uh, those are kind of the big lines. You are a super performer. <laughs> are there any life hacks you have, like something you do, especially to keep you healthy, to keep mm. you fit? So I read everyone's life hack, hoping I can get a life hack and be so cool as them and wake up at five and meditate and then have this super amazing green juice that makes them work until 12 and sleep only four hours. But I've never been able to achieve and it really annoys me because yeah. I would love to have these habits. I'm trying to believe and I've seen it with myself in articles where you kind of romantize, you kind of make it more romantic, the whole story. So I do believe it's fake mm -hmm. <laughs> because I don't know how humans can manage that. Um, I try to sleep eight hours. I need eight hours. I wish I only needed four, but I'm that kind of person that needs eight. I try to eat healthy, but I love carbonara and a cheeseburger and whatever comes to me and chips. I try to do yoga. I, I have a lot of stress. I can I, stress can easily uh, take me. So I try. I try to meditate. I still don't understand how it functions. Okay. I the whole idea of uh, be comfortable with your thoughts and accept it 
still vague for me. So I would love to be uh, as precise as that, but no. I try to have lemon juice every morning, but then there's no more lemon. And then you just <laughs> forget to buy lemon for a month. Yeah, and, and then, then the you forget gone. <laughs> you forget your groceries for another month and you mm. eat pasta for a week. I, I, would, I would love to. I really, yeah, it, yeah. it amazes me. It uh, inspires me, but I'm so far. <laughs> Is there anything special like you did in Nigeria? Like um, how did your life change like being in Geneva or mm. being in Lagos? <laughs> A lot changed because you, uh, you are no longer independent in the sense that you cannot, you cannot, people do it. Uh, it's just walking around is not as agreeable as in Switzerland where there are no uh, paved walks. Uh, there are cars honking and you think certain people honk, but there it's another level. Uh, there's a lot of noise, there's a lot of traffic, there's a lot of chaos. We're talking about 20 million people in Lagos. So you don't have that freedom of space, which you have in Switzerland. You don't have the green uh, that you have just here in the city. Um, in terms of life hacks there, yes. Because the noise, the pressure, the traffic is so present, it, I really tried to make it a rule to go to the gym once a, once a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To just get to out. To work out. Plus, because mm. for a long time before the seat space was ready in Lagos, home was the office. Um, so it, it started getting intense. Um, so yeah, going to the gym once a day was important. That was the that was that was what we tried to make the rule uh, between the partners. Yeah. <laughs> okay, your Nigeria life hack. Yeah, <laughs> and then we discovered insanity. <laughs> Do you know? No. It's this like American sports guy that does one hour of CrossFit, and you literally feel like fainting every hour. We uh, tried. You tried? Are still doing it? No. No. You stopped it. We tried <laughs> to throw it in the group. I think like some. Start, there were some sparks of insanity around yeah. the world, but yeah. didn't last long. Only Pierre Alain committed fully to the two months. Oh. Um, maybe one of the last questions. Um, you have seen so many different entrepreneurs around the world, like now, and you know Swiss entrepreneurs. Mm. So, like, what can Swiss entrepreneurs learn from the others? Mm. Especially with my strong experience in Africa recently, um, they have this hustler attitude. Like they know how to hustle. Can you explain hustle a little I bit? I know, like, I know. Um, the ones. It's kind of like it's their street smart in the sense that they hack their way, but they hack their day to day. You, um, I'm trying to think of examples. Um, It doesn't mean that it's, uh, it will be the most efficient product, it's the most beautiful product, but it works. So in their capability of building an MVP, it's really impressive when you know where they come from, how they did it, and with what they did it. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've seen some, uh, like an entrepreneur in Kenya that proposed this kind of, um, this clean uh, charger, which was basically uh, uh, the fire and a pan. And I don't know, I don't know the, the technical aspects, but it allowed enough energy to create um, uh, electricity to charge his phone. 
Um, and so their, 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 their capability of hacking their life because they cannot depend on any um, other infrastructure or uh, institutions. Many are lacking in these countries. I'm not saying all and I'm, I'm not saying we have it all. Um, but so there's this uh, débrouillardisme, which is really impressive, uh, which you don't see, uh, of course, in uh, Switzerland, where there is no unemployment uh, and uh, everything works and everything is on time. And um, so it's a different reality. And that's probably why we don't have enough entrepreneurs also. It's just a bit too comfortable. It's the golden cage. And what I say to my friends in corporate, you literally put yourself in the worst situation. Because even getting outside of Switzerland, every year will get tougher for you. It's too good to be true. Hmm. There are probably a lot of people who like to reach out to you, <laughs> I guess. So what's the easiest way to get in contact with Alize? Um, well, LinkedIn uh, is a great way. If not, uh, at, at um, Seedstars World, info at seedstarsworld.com. Uh, I still look at every email. So. You're an email junkie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> being an email junkie makes sense. Um, so for sure, anyone, if they want to know more about the story, if they want to uh, check out the startups, we have our annual summit the 6th of April in Lausanne. Is it open? Um, Can any, anyone buy a ticket no, or how does it work? it's invitation only, so they have okay. to present their profile and then okay, we but see they if there's apply. a fit. It's they like could apply. It's like TED, TEDx. Exactly, yeah. they can apply and then uh, they'll receive a code. Um, if we believe this event will bring value added to them and they can bring value added to the crowd attending the event. Okay, what's the most important when you say value add if someone likes to apply for it? Yeah. Like what do they need to bring to actually so, get accepted to be interesting for your people? First of all, they have to have a reason to be uh, getting involved in a, in a forum which is all about innovation, technology and, and doing business in emerging markets. Okay, so mm -hmm. if that's already a, because their business is exporting to one of these markets, because they want to build a company there, because they want to do work with companies coming from Kenya or the Philippines, then for me, this is the most important aspect because we really try to make sure that during the summit, every person on your left and your right can bring value f to your business or have kind of to your personal growth. Um, but um, or, or that they have a specific story that can support. But, we want people to be able um, to grow their company one way or another at our summit. Okay, great, mm. cool. Thank you so much for having us. And Thank uh, you for coming. I hope to stay in touch. Yes, and come to the Seedstar Summit. I will, <laughs> promise. Perfect. Thank you, Alice. Good. Mm.